0: Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Judy Stevens, and I'm Angelique Roche. Hi, Angelique. Happy February. What's up with
1: you? Oh my God, it's it's February. When when did it when did it get? To, I wait. Y'all can't <laughs> see me, but I'm looking <laughs> at my calendar. I'm very confused. So many things are up. On a serious note, regardless of the date or the month. What about you, Judy?
0: So this weekend or this past weekend would have been Comiket, which is my go-to anime convention that's usually held in DC. And so sadly, it's not happening because it shouldn't happen for good reasons but my friends and I are making our own convention experience we're gonna hang out on zoom we have a panel session that we're gonna like host our own panels some of them should be comedy some of them should be hilarity and my friends bought some costumes online and I sort of made a wig it's not great it's on my instagram you can slide over there and check it out I'm just ready to hang out with my friends online and hope for the for the future we can all hang out together in person again.
1: I love it because nerdum fandom will find a way Hey, uh, speaking of nerdum and fandom finding a way, I'm excited because we really have a dope show today.
0: We totally do. We're looking a little back, aren't we? Oh, yeah. So we are going
1: back to like primetime last year. I had the pleasure of talking to professor, producer, underground rap artist, and just all around just like cool girl. And it was real hard because I was fangirling over her the entire time. Iyongo Lamumba Kasango, a.k.a. Samus. For all of you video game nerds out there, yes, that Samus. It is based off of that video game character because she is a total gamer girl. And with the return of Tanahasi Coates' Black Panther run on February 24th, I thought it would be a great time to revisit my conversation with her about hip-hop and Afrofuturism. So without further ado, here is my interview with Samus. Before I even get into it and start talking about all of the nerdy things I want to ask you about, I would like to welcome you officially to the Women of Marvel podcast. Thank you. Can you let the good folks at home know who you are?
2: Yes. So I am Samus, also Inango Lamumba Kasango, but you don't have to say all that. <laughs> but it's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I love it. it I um, When I was a kid, I used to be kind of annoyed about having such a mouthful to always say and spell out. But once I got older, I was like, yo, my name rhymes. I was destined to be a rapper. <laughs> so yeah, it's worked out as an adult. Um, but yeah, I'm a producer. I'm a rapper. I uh, recently got my PhD. I'm very happy that that's done. <laughs> So now I'm on the other side of that and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Brown University in the music department. So those are the things that I am doing when I'm not taking a nap.
1: (laughs) Naps are key. I respect the nap. Oh my god. One of the dope things is though is your PhD is in science and technology studies. Yes. Which is Really, really cool. It's very Riri Williams.
2: Uh, <laughs> thank you. In my yes, opinion. I appreciate the connection. I'm always trying to get more Riri, whether that's Riri Williams or Rihanna. Like I just, I'm always trying to elevate. So I feel like that comparison just brightened my whole week. So thank you. <laughs> done and done
1: and well deserved. It, because it, one of the cool things, you are a rapper, but it, like to be very clear, like you're a nerd rapper. Yes. Like. I remember being, and I can't remember the name of the spot, whether the name was Bungalow, or I loved it because it had a bungalow, (laughs) and I saw this brilliant woman just on a mic,
2: rapping, and I started hearing nerd references, and I was like. (laughs) I love, I live for those moments, yes. (laughs) I was like, did she just
1: reference a video? (laughs) Who is this woman? Where do I find out everything about her? (laughs) So I'm just, it's, it's so really cool because everybody feels like you have to be either an artist or a scientist or an yeah. artist or this. You really are the meaning of, but why not, but? <laughs> <laughs> what was your first interest in music and hip hop? And, and why do you feel like that's, the way you wanted to express your art yeah. with the multitude of ways you could have chosen.
2: For sure, so I grew up in upstate New York, in Ithaca, New York. It's a small town, mostly white town. Um, there are two kind of major universities there, Cornell University and Ithaca College. And so growing up, like looming in the distance were these big schools. And so I think a lot of my my friends and I, we were, we were nerds, right? We loved studying and reading and learning cool stuff. But I was a huge introvert as a kid and you know I think that was really instrumental in me falling in love with with video games which was sort of the thing that opened up the door around music. So basically one of my earlier memories is being at the orthodontist office. Uh, My older brother had braces (laughs) and so I was in the waiting room and there was Sonic the Hedgehog in the waiting room and I was like, yo, what is this game? And I played it, you know, the whole time. And then when I went home, the music was stuck in my head. I could not get the music out of my head. And, and I realized like, I think I'm in love with this. <laughs> I wanna listen to this music all the time. And so my older brother, he was a he was a pretty big gamer. He would bring home, you know, Nintendo cartridges and Sega cartridges, do all kinds of trading stuff with friends and I would play this stuff as well. And so I really started to fall in love with video game music. And in listening to video game music, it opened up more pathways for me. Cause I was like, yo, well, let me, let me get more invested in music more generally. And so I started to listen to other artists. Daft Punk is an artist I really like a lot. I listened to Bjork, um, uh, Radiohead I was really big on. And I found hip hop later in life. Um, it wasn't until like I had listened to it um, in high school and, you know, really was enamored with most Deaf and a bunch of other artists, but I never felt like I could participate per se. It felt like, okay, these folks are really waxing philosophical about life and movement and, you know, and here I am just trying to figure out what I'm gonna eat for lunch today. You know, I don't know if I can participate to this conversation meaningfully, you know? Um, and then Kanye West, ah, gosh, I get emotional even thinking about his his trajectory, uh. but he, he dropped college dropout right as I was about to go into undergrad and it was like the perfect timing it was really like the universe was like hey <laughs> slow down listen to this and kind of find your voice it was amazing to hear somebody wax philosophical about both being like super cool and i'm the best but also the stress of what achievement looks like or what achievement can look like and you know, him him saying, I don't know if this is the path for me. I don't know if college is the way that I want to go, was really instrumental for me in thinking outside of, like, academia as the only path forward. So in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to start making beats. I, I, like, did all my research. And when I first saw his name, I thought it was Kane West <laughs> instead of Kanye West. <laughs> so I was asking everybody, who's Kane West? <laughs>
1: Yo, it is, it is a, a reasonable mistake. Thank you. If you've never heard it out yeah. loud.
2: I you know what? I appreciate this generous space. <laughs> Cause I've been beating myself up for years <laughs> without it. And so, you know, I finally I found out more about him. I was like, he calls himself a producer. I want to call myself a producer. And I started making kind of sample based hip hop beats at that time. Before that, I had been making like kind of video gamey sounding pieces of production through a program called Reason. But this was the moment where I was like, yo, hip hop is is where I want to. If Kanye's in hip-hop, I want to be in hip-hop. And it kind of started from there. So, yeah, it was like a weird, windy path into the world of hip-hop, but I'm really glad that I found myself there. (laughs) No, and I love it because, like, for
1: me, it was the same way when I first heard Lupe. Or or even, like, later in life, like, first hearing Childish Gambino and, like, understanding that nerdy references are viable because... If you don't like start back in like the 80s and really listen to old school hip hop Mm -hmm. and really understand all the nerd references they slipped Mm -hmm. in, there is a whole space where you're like, oh, can I do this? Yeah. how does this come about, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, It. I think it's it's like you're saying, when you get older and you kind of look back, you realize, oh, we've always been there. Like we've always been in hip hop. You know, Wu-Tang, I was just listening to, to Wu-Tang recently and like thinking about MF Doom and all of these figures who have been drawing on these like geek and nerd universes for a long time. But for some reason, it didn't read that way to us when we were younger. Or we weren't exposed to it. And so I think it's it's been nice to revisit that and be like oh we've always been around (laughs) we've always been doing our thing you know yeah so I love
1: the fact that you're like oh so I'm a rapper and I got a PhD (laughs) it's
2: a it's a weird flex Cool, cool cool
1: So for you, why has it been so important? Because I think this idea of women in STEM is yeah. like mad important. Yeah. That representation is just as important as seeing Riri Williams mm-hmm. or Shuri mm-hmm. or Monica Rambeau in a comic book, right? Is yes. like real life scientists. Yeah. So why was it so important for you to make sure you're like, yeah, I want to be a rapper, but and still, I'm going to go get this PhD.
2: Yeah. So I think if I'm being like honest, honest, I kind of pursued the PhD to its end, because at least initially, I really didn't know how music was going to work out for me. (laughs) I mean, I was like, you know, this is a cool thing. And I'm really into it. And I hope that this blows up. But low key, you know, I, at that time, I didn't really see many examples of artists in the middle. So I had seen, you know, my parents, of course, were worried about the idea that I would go out and be like busking on the Corner, you know, playing my guitar, or whatever, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, <laughs> you know, you know. And on the other hand, there's like Mariah Carey, but I didn't know that there was a middle space where artists could exist. And so in my mind, it was like, I gotta have something else that I'm figuring out or working towards so that I'm not putting all my eggs in this basket if, you know, God forbid, the dream that I have doesn't kind of work out. So You know, I've always loved learning. I fell in love with the field of science and technology studies in undergrad, taking a class with the person who would become my advisor, Trevor Pinch. He's really brilliant. He's written this amazing history of the synthesizer. And I took a class with him. And in that class, we learned the social history of the Moog synthesizer. And at that moment, it was like, whoa, you can study sound and music through a science and technology studies lens. Like, I don't have to be in a music department. And that was really exciting to me because I had been making music, but at that time, the kind of music I was making, it wasn't available as a thing to study or pursue as a practitioner in music departments, like computer music and hip hop production. You know, music departments were light years behind as far as knowing or understanding how their student bodies were invested in these these practices. And so, yeah, the PhD, it felt like that was a cool way for me to explore my love of sound, music production, and do so in a field that had like a really interesting frame. Basically, the the conceit of STS is that the technologies that we use are socially constructed, that people make these things, right? And so their values are embedded in the tools that we use. And, and we have to recognize that and know that these tools don't just like descend from the heavens or from like the technology gods. And that's a really empowering thing, I think even if you're thinking about something like my dissertation research which is about music studios, you can think about the configuration of the space, how it matters, what recording tools we use and what values are embedded in those tools. Like all of that stuff became stuff that I was aware of through science and technology studies. Yeah, it I think it's a nice accident that I <laughs> kept going. And I'm really happy that I'm here, but I also don't want to make it seem like I was so intentional at the beginning, like, okay, I'm going to be like, a you know, a boss rapper and I'm going to have my degree. I think I was just like moving along one day at a time, like, okay, I'm still in school. I'm still making raps. Okay, I'm still in school. Okay, three years have passed. I'm still in school making raps. And then it was like, oh, I'm done with the thing. I'm still making raps. Great. We're here.
1: Um, it sounds like life <laughs> and that's really awesome.
2: Yeah, it was life.
1: So... Samus Yes, is a stage name. Yes. For those at home who may not know the backstory of the stage name, can you tell us a little bit about the origin of why you chose that name but also like why that name is so significant with you in this mm-hmm. intersection of gaming and your fandom?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that my my older brother, he kind of introduced all of these games to me as a kid. And one of those games was Metroid, which is this game, I think it's from from 1987, I believe is when the US version came out. But we didn't end up playing it until like the 90s, because we always got everything late in my house. So uh, at some point in the, in the 90s, um, I came across this game. And for those who don't know, the main character, Samus, is this character who's in this like cybernetic power suit and is in search of this giant disembodied brain called Mother Brain. And Metroids are like parasites that try to kind of suck your energy as you're trying to find Mother Brain. And so after you beat the game, you find Mother Brain, blow up the fortress and escape. The armor suit comes off and the main character, Samus, is revealed to be this woman and you know as a kid playing this in the 90s any any of us you know nerds of a certain age we recognize how much of a novelty that was in that moment and i think i i was really excited not only because she was a woman, but also because of how Nintendo kind of presented her identity. It wasn't like a gotcha uh, moment where it was like, ha ha, we've tricked you. It was more like, yeah, of course, of course, this is who Samus is. Like, who else would it be? And, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, wow, I had some kind of gendered ideas in my head. It like just flipped my whole universe upside down. And so when I got a little bit older and I started making beats, I remember... I I had these encounters with other like male producers and artists where they would be like, oh, who made your beats for you? Or who helped you to make these beats, right? And that was like the starting assumption I came to realize was always that somebody else had done it for me or with me. Like I couldn't have found it on my own. And so when I thought about like, okay, what am I gonna call myself as an artist? Samus was like the best name because not only did I love that game, but she also... There's this moment where it's revealed that she is the person who's kind of been kicking behind the whole time. And so I felt like I was having that same conversation or that same moment when, you know, a lot of other male artists would be like, oh, wait, you're the person who was making these beats or you're the person who was under the pr- behind the production. So, yeah, that's, that's where the name comes from. I continue to just love Samus and feel like she's a, kind of a feminist icon. And for me, it's been really cool to repurpose her as a black woman and to see the ways that that brings different people into conversation. So there are folks who have never heard of Metroid or have never played a game, but are super into black feminist thought. And then there are people who have never thought about the importance of representation, but they really love Metroid. And so they might listen to a song that I've made and they're kind of forced to, to listen to each other in that moment, um, in that space of my music, because I'm addressing both at the same time, hopefully. At least I, I, yeah, I I think so.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think it's really cool because in your music, your music has so many inspirations and influences and it's from video games to black womanhood to online culture to Afrofuturism. And you know, you do it so seamlessly, in my personal opinion, Uh, (laughs) I'm a stan, whatever, it's a thing. Where do you start and kind of what are your influences as you're building out Mm -hmm. these pieces?
2: So I feel like there are like three different approaches that I have to writing a song. Um, The first is responding to like immediate conversations that are happening culturally. So I spend a lot of time on Twitter. I hang out on Twitter a lot, probably too much. Um, And one part of that is that I, I get to see how folks are thinking and what they're thinking about. So for example, I have a song called Comments Disabled about kind of the, the harassment that people of color, that women, that queer folks, trans folks experience in online spaces so often. And a part of that song coming into being was being online and seeing so many of my close friends tweeting about the experiences that they were having and the, the difficulty of trying to just exist online and being attacked for that. And so in that moment, it was like, I need to write a song about this. I need to write a song about that anger that we're feeling in not being able to simply exist without kind of being persecuted for liking things (laughs) or not liking things. So that was kind of an issue based song. And for me, it was about capturing the anger of that moment. So when I'm writing a song like that, I will just think about all of the different references that I can make that have to do with for, for a song like that, for example, the chorus draws on Gwen Stefani, uh, No Doubt's Spiderwebs. That's a song for me that talks about just like getting away from communication with people. <laughs> and so I was like, OK, well, ha- let me play on that. That's like what what is speaking to me the most as a kind of frame of reference. And so from there, I started to kind of write the rest of the song. So it's usually like an idea and then a specific reference. And then like, how can I twist it? to kind of make it my own or make it original. Um, but in other cases, I'll write a song because I am, I, I cry a lot, I'm a big crier, whether I'm happy or sad. <laughs> so anytime I get like a little you know, twinkle in my eye, I'm like, okay, this is, I'm feeling something, I'm feeling things, why am I feeling things? And then I start to write down, why I'm feeling things. And it usually will result in like, oh, you're upset because academia is really hard. And as a black woman in your department, you're feeling XYZ. Okay, maybe it's time to write a song about that. Or you're crying because... You know, you really love ice cream or whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's time to write a song about that. You know, it's just recognizing that I'm having an emotional response, and then carving out what's happening in that moment. And from there, the references really—they just come from anywhere. They almost—I really don't like when songwriters are just like, "Oh, it just flows through me," because that's—I feel like that's a little disingenuous. Like you—you have to do work. It's not always effortless and easy but i do feel like there's a way in which once you know what you're going to talk about the ideas start to float around your head a little bit of like okay well if i'm going to talk about ice cream who are other people who talk about ice cream or things that they love or like what are my favorite flavors and how can i kind of infuse that into like a, a like a coherent thought about it so yeah that's kind of how most songs emerge and the last way is basically just playing with words I have a song called Definitely, and that came about from me and my friend Joe just saying the word definitely over and over again <laughs> and saying, yeah, that's a, that's a neat word. Let's see what we can do with the word definitely. So that's probably the most fun, but the most difficult because it's almost like a puzzle trying to figure out other words that like rhyme with that word
1: so i think one of the cool things that you do and i just want to be clear to all the listeners the word i am about to say is not new it is rooted in so many amazing books and so much amazing theories this concept of afrofuturism yes and understanding that you know it really like in this idea of the world of black panther and shuri mm-hmm. like folks are really starting to see that reflect how would you define Afrofuturism? And and what are some examples for you that you think you would categorize as Mm -hmm. being Afrofuturism?
2: Yeah, so that term is so special to me in a lot of ways in part because it's helped me to connect my music with things outside of myself. Like, okay, I'm part of something that's bigger. Um, a conversation that's like you said, that's been happening. And, um, so that felt really special. But as far as what Afrofuturism is, I feel like it's, it's like an, I guess, sensibility could be a word that you could use so like a political or aesthetic sensibility that prioritizes the idea that black and Brown folks are a part of the future and that we're central to conversations about the futures that exist and that the ways that we envision like an ideal future involve looking into the past and examining our present moment. So we don't just exist right now that, the ways that we feel and conversations that we have have existed for forever since humans since people have been here and that part of our work as we like project into the future is making a connection with things ideas people movements from the past and so people that I really love who have done that kind of work I mean obviously Black Panther is like I was I was full like sobbing in the theater like (laughs) Like, I feel like I, I had to go back and watch it a second time because it was like I cried so much the first time, but I like missed, you know, critical details because it was just like, wow, we are here sonically, aesthetically, like we're doing this. And so, yeah, Black Panther stands out to me as really the biggest example of that. Also, there's a there's an artist named Moor Mother, M-O-O-R Mother. Um, She's a producer, a kind of noise artist. She blends together kind of like archival sounds with like synth sounds. And she's just really, really thoughtful about how we can use ideas from past black women theorists and bring them into her music and her ideas. I think she's really invested in that particular Afrofuturist path And Itasha Womack, um, she's in Chicago, she's a dancer, and um, she's written a book about Afrofuturism. She's also, I believe, working on a graphic novel. She has a couple of published works. She's really, really cool, and is is also just a pleasant person to follow on social media. Um, which can be difficult in this moment. I think there's a lot of bad stuff and it's really hard, but she's always tweeting these, these like affirmations and ways in which she's grateful to the universe and other folks around her. So that's been really nice to watch. But yeah, I think the list could go on forever and ever and ever, but I'll, I'll cap it there. Otherwise I just will not stop.
1: <laughs> I love the fact that it is so many people that we can list now. Yes. Uh, And so many names that we could talk about because there has been this commitment to frame and write and create things within Mm -hmm. the genre, the space, the sensibility of Afrofuturism. I want to jump back. We talked about you being a PhD. Mm hmm. And so you also teach and that's a big part of your life. We actually were talking right before the show about you doing lectures and and that (laughs) kind of work. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on in academia Mm -hmm. and what you're teaching right now at Brown?
2: Yeah. So when I was pursuing my PhD, that was in a science and technology studies department. So the classes that I taught were pretty varied. And so one of the classes that I TA'd for was like a bioethics class, which was really interesting to me because one of the multiple paths that people take in STS is, is kind of like history of medicine or sociology of medicine, which wasn't my path, but it was cool to teach a class that asked these questions that we're asking like right now about how we value kind of human life in medical crises and, you know, how as black people were disproportionately affected by, you know, bad medical outcomes. So yeah, it, it, I TA'd that class forever ago, but now all of the things that I was talking about, I've been thinking about really recently. And I also TA'd a class just about kind of, it's like an intro to science and technology studies, a class about uh, a field called sound studies. In music departments, you focus specifically on music. But in sound studies, it kind of expands beyond that. And we think about other contexts that we understand sound through and the production of sound. So there's conversations about noise, about voice, um, about how we think about what it means to be loud or soft and how those ideas about that are socially constructed. And then at Brown, I'm teaching two classes. The first class that I taught is a hip hop songwriting class, which was really cool and difficult and strange because I've never had to create a pedagogy around my like creative practice. It always was like the thing that I did after I left campus. <laughs> and so it's weird to come to campus to do that. And and also kind of surreal that this thing that was a hobby of mine, now I have this room full of students being like, you know, taking notes of what I'm saying. It feels like a scam. Like, really? Why are you listening to me? But basically, we talk about how to... Put hip-hop songs together, but also the different kind of approaches that hip-hop songwriters have in conveying a story. there's There's a multitude of different ways that that hip-hop artists like enter into songs, leave songs, ride the beat, the way that they present themselves. And so we talk a lot about different approaches for constructing a song. And then in the class I'm teaching right now, it's a discussion seminar, a feminist sound studies class, and we talk about feminist approaches for thinking about the production of sound. To me, it's the most important function of the class has been introducing the students to countless women, producers, artists, sound engineers, singers, songwriters, Etc., folks who work in, in audio and kind of doing the work of saying, we're here, especially Black women, we're here, we've been doing this work. And even though the conversation is often about how we don't exist in these spaces, we can shift that conversation to acknowledge that there's definitely a disparity, but also that like, yo, we've been doing this forever. And just because people don't get acknowledged in certain platforms, it doesn't mean that they haven't been doing the work. So that has been really gratifying to me personally, even just to introduce them to like my friends, other artists that I love and have people come in and give talks like it feels like a healing space for me as an artist.
1: How do you make all of that happen? You have such a dedication to your craft. You have such a dedication to how things come across. You you analyze and look at things in such a way that you have a perspective and mm-hmm. anyone who's ever taught before and I have yes. lesson plans and setting things out <laughs> and making all of that work is it is like 10 jobs. Yes. So, you know, what has it been like <laughs> to teach on top of everything else you do?
2: It has definitely been for me a, will wouldn't even say wake up call, but it, for me, it definitely has been a moment where I've had to reflect on like, what are my priorities? Like in a given day, what are my priorities? I think when I was younger, like even a few years ago, I would just A, say yes to everything, but also try to do everything in one day. Like my to-do list would just be so reckless and unrealistic. And (laughs) I think now in teaching this class, it's like, okay, I teach on Mondays. That means Sunday, I'm not doing anything else, but thinking about how Monday is gonna go. We're like, I'm rereading everything that I'm about to teach. I'm just planning my life in a better way. And I think as far as the like long-term vision for the class, it's definitely an experiment. Like sometimes things hit, And sometimes I'm like, wow, I really, this was not, this did not go well. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, as a teacher, you know, it can, it can go either way sometimes, but I think what's been helpful is establishing in the beginning with the students like, yo, we're going through this together. We're learning how we want this class to be and what we want to get out of it. And so we'll be patient and generous with each other. And if a reading is really great and we have a great discussion from it, then great. I'll ping that and know that that's a thing for next time. And then if if we have a conversation and it's like, you know, that reading, I don't know that it, it, didn't, it didn't do what I thought it was gonna do, then that's a space to reevaluate. But it's definitely an experiment and a, you know, I still don't feel fully like, oh yeah, I got this. Like if I were to teach the class again, I would know exactly what to do. But I feel a little bit, like a little bit more <laughs> knowledgeable about how to, how to just organize a class that flows well and has enough readings and feels interesting to the students, relevant to the students.
1: So one of the things that I know that you do get a chance to do within performing and teaching is you collaborate. And one particular collaboration, MC MegaRan.
2: Yes! I
1: had a feeling that was going to be your response. Um, You work together (laughs) on a video game-themed concept. Talk about just bringing everything you love in one place. Um, And it focuses a lot on... The challenges of being a black woman in gaming, and I've I've had this conversation a lot, right? Mm. And I'm, I am am honestly, I've been playing games since I was a kid. I remember having a Nintendo and a Sega Genesis blowing out the cartridges, my little game gear. Yes. Feeling like you really didn't have a place, right? Like feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, you weren't able to play games because that wasn't a space for you. And I've never really had a chance to be able to like have those conversations until probably now in like mm, my late 30s yes. with folks um, I just posted for the first time in black girl gamers and was like hey I'm downloading uncharted
0: oh yeah and, <laughs> and I'm playing the
2: last of us help yo I'm playing the last of us that's amazing where are you at right now oh I like just started like I just like, oh two days ago. oh <laughs> if 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 you
1: would like to talk about this game please feel free to I hit me up are you on you discord
2: up. I will be now
1: <laughs> All right. I'm I'm not that far in because I have yeah. visceral reactions to things and it's Well such that's a great the thing, game. it's stressful as hell. <laughs> so stressful. Yeah. Um but yeah, just like this moment right here wasn't something that mm. a lot of us got growing up. Like, what has it been like to not only channel your real life gaming experiences, but like have these moments? Like this is a moment where I'm like, I know she's gonna understand what I'm saying.
2: Yeah it's been um honestly it's like spiritual to, it's like a spiritual experience getting to connect with other black women who are in the same kind of headspace and I don't at all sort of take it for granted anytime I have a show and like you said you had that moment where I was like yo she's talking about some nerd stuff over there like when that happens with another black woman in a show space it's like a sacred space it suddenly becomes like a very very it it reminds me of the responsibility that i have to my community and that part of what's important about what i'm doing is reminding people that when we're not in these spaces how scary and difficult it can be to enter into them. So like by me being on the bill or by me being a performer, it's inviting or opening up new spaces for all of the other women and girls like me who felt like I'm not allowed to be here, I'm not supposed to be here. And that is, I would not trade that in for the world. And I didn't even realize when I first started making music that that was gonna be an outcome. You know, it was really like, oh, this is fun, I like doing this. And then I would perform at a convention and end up having like a crying circle with you know two or three other black women there after the after the set and we would just talk and talk and have you know exactly the moment we just had here so yeah it's it really I think to me has been the most beautiful part of being an artist that it has introduced me to a community I didn't even realize I could be a part of or or didn't know how much we were really out here until kind of being able to witness it myself. So yeah, it's, I have no, no words that can capture how, like, ah, I'm getting emotional now, how (laughs) special it is that we get to have these moments knowing that it, it has been hard fought for so many of us.
1: So let's flip to something that you're working on now. Yeah. Which I am I want to know everything about, <laughs> but I wish we had all the time. Yeah. So you're working as the audio director for Insecure, the close up game, which is a game that's accompanying oh, this little small show that was, you know, made by this other like randomly <laughs> amazing black woman nerd yeah. uh, called Insecure. Can you tell us about how this kind of came about and what can you tell us about the project and where it's at?
2: Yeah, so basically, a, a really good friend of mine, speaking of kind of the black woman nerd connection, um, I met this woman, LaToya Peterson, at a kind of like a conference situation. And, you know, we ended up connecting and having some good, good dialogue and then, you know, went off to do our thing. And I think this was in like 2017. And then... I think it was last year, she texted me and was like, we're working on a game, on getting a game together with Insecure. Would you be interested? I was like, uh, absolutely. And she was like, okay, great. And then like disappeared. And then she came back a few months later <laughs> and was like, okay, the game is happening. This is a thing. And then she kind of connected me with the rest of the team at Glow Up Games, which is this women of color led game studio that she's been working on with two other friends of hers. And this is kind of their first their first property that they're working on, which is really incredible for this to be the fir- the first thing. But basically they had been in communication with HBO and and HBO has other game franchises that they have, have made a part of their, uh, like their shows. And they wanted to develop a game around the universe that Issa Rae has created in Insecure, where you're trying to like level up and just, you know, glow up, get your life together. How can we kind of gamify that? And one of the primary ways he wanted to do that was like, oh, it's the mirror scene, like the mirror scene. That is where so many women, so many black women in particular, like find their way into the show. Like, oh, this is me. This is how she's expressing all of the things that I be thinking at home. <laughs> and so we were like, okay, well, maybe that will be kind of the, the way that we'll frame this game. And so we started by building out this sort of like rap composition game. And that's where a lot of my expertise came in with, okay, well, how how are we going to gamify putting a rap together and and like really having gamers feel like they're composing something rather than that it's just like, like the the other kind of rap games that come to mind are, are like Parappa the Rapper, right? Which is fun and cute and has, you know, it's a super great game, but it's more invested in you being kind of on beat. it's a It's a rhythm action game. And so we wanted this to have elements of that, but also the compositional component where you're selecting the words that go into the rap. Um, that was like a primary focus of that. So that's what we're working on right now. There's also a narrative branch of the game where the character, the avatar that you create is able to be friends with Issa and they kind of... You know, run around LA doing their thing, trying to to go on dates and <laughs> and you know just the the whole insecure experience. So we're we're working on that right now, and we hope to have it release uh, alongside the show that's that's going on right now. But it's been a really neat experience as someone who loves games but has never kind of had a hand in seeing how they come to be. I'm just in awe now, having seen the inner workings of. Just how much time, energy, screaming, (laughs) banging your head against the wall goes into making these things that we love so much like exist.
1: Dope. Well, is there anything else that you're working or you're excited about right now? Because I feel like we've already done a laundry list, but I'm sure you have more projects.
2: Yeah, so I'm working on my next album. And because of being in quarantine, it's been a little bit in limbo just because I record at a studio in Queens. And, you know, I have a little very makeshift studio situation in my closet, but I would prefer to to record, you know, at a legit facility. (laughs) Um, So I think once we're able to be in physical contact with people again, um, I'm going to want to finish up that album and then release that. And I think the long, long, long Term plan is to hopefully turn my dissertation into a book project, but that's like me being really ambitious. So <laughs> we'll say, like, for 2023 or 2024, look out for that. But um, yeah, I hope that I can turn that into a book project at some point because that would be, just be a neat, neat way to produce something different.
1: Uh, I love it. Thank you so much for spending all this time with me. I wish we could have talked for like another hour. You're amazing.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This was a delight, a much needed quarantine vacation in an hour.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much again to Samus for joining us on the show. Angelique, I said it before and I'll say it again. She's like a real life Riri Williams.
1: It is truly, truly a thing. Like She is incredibly talented and hopefully we can get her on the show again very soon. And oh, wait, speaking of Riri Williams. If you want more Riri, a.k.a. Ironheart goodness, make sure you check out Marvel's Voices Legacy number one. The comic book is launching February 24th, and there is an amazing story starring... Ironheart, Ms. Marvel and Shuri, written by Maholi Mashango, And it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I think it is one of the most adorable things I've ever read.
0: I'm so excited. And also coming out on February 24th is Black Panther number 23, the first of the final three Black Panther comics in Ta-Nehisi Code's amazing run. If you aren't caught up yet, you can read it from the beginning over on Marvel Unlimited. And to that point, if you've been reading something you really enjoy or watching or working on cosplay, tell us about it. Send us an email to womenof@marvel.com or tweet at us at Marvel using hashtag Women of Marvel. Until next time, this is Marvel.
1: Your universe.
0: Women of Marvel is produced by Rebecca Seidel, Zachary Goldberg, and Alexis Williams, along with Ellie Pyle, Anjali Crochet, and me, Judy Stevens.
1: Our development manager is Brad Barton and Jill Duboff is our director of audio.
0: Special thanks to Iyango Lamamba Tizango.